What we have here at the 51st Avenue location is a brew pub. So we're allowed to produce beer in-house and sell it in-house. And that allows for a full bar. So we're unique in that aspect because a lot of um, production breweries don't have food capabilities in-house. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods the nation's first podcast devoted to the restaurant industry. Now, here's your host, Wilco Food CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Profitable Table. Today, I've got an exceptional guest that's going to give us tons of insights into the restaurant business and beyond. It's Joseph Murphy, the general manager of Alewife Brewery in Long Island City. Joseph, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you very much, Stephen, for having me on. So, Joseph, can you tell us a little bit about the Alewife, how it got started, and, and talk to us a little bit about the restaurant, the brewery, and, and, and the facets of your uh, of your business? Yeah, so Alewife started out as a full-service restaurant in Long Island City, Queens, offering craft beer. It's won multiple achievements and different awards throughout with like Queens Beer Week being one of like the best craft beer bars in Queens. Uh, we have 28 uh, different craft beers on tap. That's amazing. It was a brewery and you guys were just selling the craft beer that you were brewing? No, initially it was a, it was a craft beer bar and a restaurant. Okay. And then the bar would buy in different beers from all over with a specific focus on local beers. And Long Island City in particular over the last five years or so has seen an upsurgence in craft beer breweries opening up. So there's a lot around this area. There's even a, right now, there's a Long Island City brewery trail with some of the different breweries here like Titamer, Big Alice, Iconic, LIC Beer Project, and some of those other guys, Rockaway is here too. So it's really, Long Island City is really a center for craft beer and craft beer breweries. So, and as well, the the beer list consists of ciders of different needs, all from like a craft and artisanal kind of standpoint. And, you know, ideally within the Northeast and ideally within New York in particular. Got it. When did you guys make the decision to start brewing your own beer? So the first beer was released in April 2018. So the brewery is a little bit over a year old now. Now the brewery is connected to the restaurant? It's on the same property? It is, yeah. So we have what we call the scullery room at the back, which is a one-barrel SS Brewtech system where we produce beers in-house that are sold directly within the tap room. And they range from your IPAs, your sour IPAs, pilsners, porters, stouts, across the whole spectrum of the different styles. And we're actually building a new space out in Sunnyside, Queens, that's a 7,500 square foot space where we'll have a bigger system there for production outside of the tap room, which Ale White Brewing is already distributing to 200 and 200 accounts throughout New York. We're in Whole Foods, in Fresh Direct, 
food kick program. Your packaging is gorgeous. Ah, uh, thanks very much. But let me ask you: when 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 you decided to when you guys decided to start brewing your own beer, was that based upon a decision to bring something unique to the restaurant side of things, or was it always meant as sort of an endeavor that you were going to deploy as a, as just a full-fledged brewery and as just an additional benefit to having your restaurant that you'd be the exclusive seller of your own beer, if you will, for at least at the beginning? Yeah, so the owner and the, the founders had always wanted to build their own brewery. They'd been through the hospitality industry for a long time. And uh, I think it's really quite a big dream realized. What we have here at the 51st Avenue location is a brew pub, is what the the classification on the the license is. So we're allowed to produce beer in-house and sell it in-house. And that allows for a full bar with um, liquor and wine and outside guest taps on the beer list also. So we unique in that aspect because a lot of um, production breweries don't have food capabilities in-house. A lot of them have, you know, food truck outside or a different partnership or something like that. So that's what's really unique. And we have something for everybody. We have uh, a brand new cocktail list that was launched a couple of weeks ago. And then our food menu, which through your supplies at Wolco, we've revamped the food menu last week. So we have a lot of new stuff going on. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask you, because you guys do have an exceptional menu, and I know you take the food seriously. So I guess my first question around that is, when you're designing the menu, do you design it with the notion in mind that you want to have food that has great pairings with the various offerings you have from the brewery? Or does it work the other way around? How much thought when you're preparing the menu goes into it and that you want to make sure it complements the beers that you're, you're brewing as well? Oh, it's, it's huge. You know, like it, you know, it's very important to us. And a lot of our food ingredients or, you know, and the different recipes are made up with some of the beers that we produce. So we have one of our most popular beers. We have two flagship core beers. One is called Thousand Stars, which is our Pilsner. And we have Death to Ego, which is our IPA. And the Pilsner is used in the batter on our chicken sandwich. And it's used in our beer cheese that complements your pretzel, the Bavarian pretzel. It's so brilliant from a marketing strategy because one of the trends that's been going on for a long time in the food space is restaurants are now leveraging their brand as a restaurant. So a very obvious example is Rayo's tomato sauce. But this is happening throughout the industry. But what you guys are doing, which is so phenomenal, is you're incorporating your beer into the actual menu so that you have a totally unique experience within your restaurant. And at the same time, those beers are being sold through a variety of other channels, so you're able to le- you're able to leverage the relationship that your dining customers have with your product, and have them give them the availability to continue to enjoy that experience by buying your beers elsewhere. Is this something that just? I mean, it's such a wonderful sort of companion. Was this something that came out of a design, or was it really that you know what there was always this dream to open the brewery? And you had the restaurant and everything just sort of flowed organically from that. Or was there demand from your customers coming in saying, look, there's a lot of breweries in Long Island. 
maybe this is something you guys would be doing as well. Yeah, exactly. I think it's more, you know, the owner's dream or objective, you know, and that's been around a lot longer than the breweries here. But, yeah, the whole thing, it flows very well, you know, the food and, and the brewery. Like we do, you know, weekly specials every week that, you know, and daily specials also that you get, you know, like, say, for example, like on Mondays, we have Mac Mondays where, you know, you get your Mac and you get one of the, the Alewife Brewing beers comes with it. Awesome. And every day we have different things. We have like Taco Tuesday, we have Wing Wednesday, we have Tex-Mex Thursday. And now that the schools are back in session, we have like teachers happy hour on Fridays. So we have a couple of schools down the street, and once you know, once the teachers are finished for the week, they they come by and have some food and have a couple of drinks. It's so awesome because. You know, one of the themes that I've talked about here and and in blog posts and elsewhere is the utilization of every aspect of your restaurant to generate revenue, to enhance the customer experience, to create something unique. And you guys are hitting it on every single cylinder by having that type of themed meals and it's something new. So you're always giving your existing customers reason to come in. You're keeping it fresh. And you're always putting something out there that might catch the eye of someone who's not yet an Alewife customer, but that, that the, the, the happy hour for the teachers is brilliant or the taco day or whatever you're doing. It's so important. How much time do you guys spend on a weekly basis or a monthly basis talking about how you're going to market the restaurant or the beer to the outside community and beyond? Oh, yeah. Every Monday, we sit down and meet, and we lay out the promotions for the next couple of weeks, and we have a pretty big, like, presence on Instagram. We post a lot there, which kind of draws in, you know, the regulars more so who follow on the stories a little bit, and then kind of the organic view of, you know, people outside. But the thing that's very important, too, is to have in-house promotions. We have posters designed up all the time and we have a new website that's very nice the web address is alewife.beer which is something that a little unique to all our emails end in .beer too and people are are a little uh, you know excited or it's unusual you know it just shows you know how much of the you know thinking behind is is focused on you know the production of the beer and the quality of the liquid that's going out of the out of the brewery. What I love about what you guys are doing is everything about your, as we were talking before, your packaging is gorgeous, but also the name of, of your products are incredibly engaging. One of the names that I really liked, and I've got to ask you where you came up with it, was, was the Death to Ego. I believe that's the IPA, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so our owner came up with it, Patrick Doniger. It's to do with this idea of lack of pretension or, you know, this kind of way of viewing the world that, you know, ego, people are held back by ego or they refuse to, you know, take account of, you know, what can make them better purely on pride and ego. It's kind of a view of of the world and seeing like, you know, like putting aside everything and, you know, just being yourself, like being, you know, as a human, 
It's so cool. And also the fact, I mean, you guys are not afraid to take chances and they work for you because you're authentic because the names, like you said, they're, you know, there's a story behind it and they certainly grab people's attention. I would say the packaging, which if people haven't seen, they should absolutely check you out on Instagram or at your website. But your packaging is also just it's unlike anything I've seen for any for any beers, microbrew, craft brew, the big names. Was that also something that was by design where you guys said, hey, we're going to have packaging that is absolutely going to differentiate itself because we're not going to be like anyone else? Or did the packaging just come from some sort of authentic? No, it was complete branding, design. And the designer on those uh, labels is Dan Birch. He does a lot of the work for the brewery label. And there's a lot of different, you know, revisions and, you know, those labels and the, the packaging takes a lot of time and there's a lot of iterations on each one. No doubt. And, you know, the owner of the brewery, you know, he gives a lot of, you know, inspiration or ideas and then my designer uh, goes with it, you know, and it's really like out of this world, you know, it's it's very unique. It's, you know, it's definitely one of our like unique selling points. The idea of capturing the eye, you know, like you have to really, you know, you got to capture the eye of somebody and then they'll see your product, they'll look at it a little bit closer and then hopefully they'll buy it, you know, your three quarters of the way there if they, they, they're caught by it and, you know, they hold it. Two years ago, we launched our own brand of products. We now have 50 products here at Wilco and the company that we have is called Holland and York. And we partnered up with the we, we partnered up with the best manufacturers out there, and I spent a lot of time thinking about the packaging and what I wanted to convey with it. So when so and it's funny because through that process, I'm now acutely aware of everyone else's branding and packaging in a way I wasn't before. So like when I look, I mean, just this is just my experience, but when I look at your packaging, on the one hand, it it reminded me of Game of Thrones. On the other hand, it was so colorful. It's like. I don't know. You just you just want to grab it. I also would say, and I'm curious as to what your your thoughts are on this, Joseph. But big brands right now are really almost completely out of favor, and the interest of everyone now is finding something that's niche, finding something unique, finding something that has a story behind it. So, like in the old days, the big brands could buy up shelf space, TV advertisements, radio, and that was a wrap. In this new day and age of ours, the game isn't like that. So, I would say, from your vantage point, do you feel at this point that the big brands, as you sell them through other channels, are are not even an issue? Or to flip it even further, do you feel like you have an advantage against them as you're marketing in these other distribution channels like Whole Foods and elsewhere? Yeah, like. The bigger brands, like the the market share has been falling the last couple of years with, you know, like the more major brands. And then the the growth of craft or, you know, the larger kind of market share takeover from craft is, is very real. And I think what people want now more than anything is to know that something is local, that something is you know, like the rise of the Whole Foods and stuff, it's just like the organic mentality. Like, you know, you want to know that something's fresh, that the beers, so like, you know, the beers typically at a maximum, the craft beer have like a three-month like shelf life, roughly. And ideally, you want to drink them within the first month that they've been packaged. 
and you get that idea of the freshness of the beer. You know, you have a, an idea of the amount of work that has gone in, like physical, manual labor by the different brewers and, you know, the assistant brewers and that type of thing. Whereas the mainstream or, you know, the large-scale domestic beers is more by machines or it's been sitting around, like, mass production. I think there's something something also to be said because with crafts, the beers rotate. There's different hop profiles in the different beers a lot of the time. Like, we do the Death to Ego and the Thousand Stars, and then all our other beers rotate their new beers all the time. So, like, right now, we're brewing our Oktoberfest, which is called Forge and Fire. And our most recent one was called Rawit, a wheat beer. And the idea of just keeping things fresh, both ingredients-wise and, you know, ideas-wise, is kind of what the market wants. Do you find it's the case that people come into the restaurant after discovering your beer through either another restaurant or buying it at Whole Foods or through another distribution channel? Would they know, let's say somebody were to buy your product at Whole Foods, would they also know that the Alewife has a restaurant in Long Island City? Would there be a way for them to get that information? That's actually, on our cans, we actually have the, the map and it says, visit our tap room. It has the map, it has our, our subway that's right down the street. So really, it, we're very convenient. We're one stop from Grand Central Terminal on the 7 train, and then two minutes walk from the subway stop here in Long Island City. And, you know, it's really a great destination for people. Our, our space is huge. We've got lots of TVs. Sundays now, we'll be having the NFL football Sunday ticket going on with different specials like beer buckets and wings, stuff like that. We have a big big screen upstairs and pinball. And one of the things that was great in the summer, and hopefully now the weather might stay good for a little while, we have an outdoor space beer garden, which, you know, when the sun hits, it's, it's really perfect. You know, it's south-facing. No, that's awesome, and I know we, we have other customers that do that. And one of the things I think is I, I think that this football season is going to be huge for people going out and, and watching the games in, in restaurants and bars and, and, and other places because I don't, I don't know if you guys saw it. I'm sure you did. But when the Women's World Cup was going on, so many, so many people we do business with that are not even places where you would traditionally think that people would watch a game and have a drink or a meal, they were putting TVs in there. I think people really, even though this is nothing new, obviously, you know, football and whatnot. However, I think that on the one hand, where there's more tech being used and people are, are on social media, I also see a tremendous uptick in people wanting to be in communal spaces to enjoy sporting events and other things. And I think it's going to be a huge season for that in football. I, I think that's making an even bigger sort of splash than it was before. And to be positioned to capitalize on that, I think is going to be exceptional. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, that sense of community, we are, we are like the neighborhood bar here in Long Island City, where you can stay at home, you can watch the game, and you can, it's really the sense of, like, interaction or, you know, like, this kind of, you know, impromptu camaraderie with, you know, the person in the stool beside you, both cheering on the football. And like you said, like, the Women's World Cup was huge for us, too. Plenty of people coming in, and 
and especially with the result, it was great, you know. So yeah, that was awesome. Hey, I'm curious because I I have other people that we do business with in Long Island City. What were your thoughts when Amazon was going to move to Long Island City, and what were your thoughts when that decision changed? Was that something that you guys had any strong opinions on, or it was sort of immaterial? I think, like like a lot of people in Long Island City, the you know the promise of Amazon was, you know, it was a potential boost for everything. But I don't really see I need to be worrying about it too much anymore. But certainly, uh, it's like the bar is, you know, we have such a great sense of like regulars around here. We have a lot of people trying it out new. And what we have, which is a little bit different than some other bars, we have the Mug Club. So it's this promotion where you sign up. It's free to sign up. And you can try out 40 different types of beer. And then at the end of your sign-in sheet, you get a mug and you get like exclusive discounts and first tastings on new beers. And we have a pinball league too with different pinball machines upstairs. So with that, you know, whilst whilst it's important to attract new people, it's also very important to, you know, retain the customers you have too. Such an important concept. And I hope for the people who are listening that are either currently owning a restaurant and wondering why they're not maybe doing the numbers they'd like to, or if you're thinking about opening a restaurant, you're constantly marketing, constantly doing new things, constantly creating new benefits for your existing customers. You're doing everything that that restaurants should do if they truly want to maximize profits and maximize the customer experience. And just to sort of finish up the Amazon thing, my point was simply that, you know, Yes, it could have potentially brought a lot of people and done a lot of great things, but it also could have changed the neighborhood. It could have changed Long Island City. And Long Island City, I know my mom used to work there many, many years ago. There's been a wonderful evolution and growth that's been going on there organically that's only going to continue. And sometimes you don't want to see that disrupted as somebody who lives there and somebody that's catering to regulars. Exactly. You know, even even before, you know, uh, I'm... I don't I don't live locally but I know the you know the rental prices were going up and the real estate was going up like prematurely. So yeah, it's hard to know what what would have come up from it, you know. Well, I'm it's not going to impact anything, but I I my personal take on it is you know you always want to do things I guess that are good for business and give people the opportunity to get jobs and all that. But it's also nice to not have neighborhoods massively disruptive and have their characters disrupted when people are are doing it. What would you say is the most important piece of advice you would give someone or the most important lesson you've learned in terms of executing on a day-to-day basis on running the restaurant and attracting people to come into the restaurant? You seem to be really on top of your marketing. What would you say is the single best or top two marketing ideas you would have for a restaurant if their goal is to attract new people to come into their spot? Yeah. So one of one of the first things it, it kind of affects it a little bit indirectly, but I would make sure that you know your food cost percentages, your your payroll percentages, your what you're spending on your food, on your beer, wine, liquor, and I would make sure that those are really on point. And then you know, with that in mind, 
you really have to have an overarching kind of view of everything that's going on in the place. So you need to be aware of, you know, the schedule, like when, like what days are needed, how many people are needed for each day. I really have an overarching kind of sense. You need to put in a lot of hours into the place. As like the general manager, you need to be seen, you need to go and speak to the different guests and make sure everyone is having the best experience possible that they're here for, you know? And again, like I mentioned or alluded to earlier, the idea of guest retention is hugely important. The cost through tradi- traditional like marketing and right and different channels for, you know, customer acquisition is huge compared to what customer retention is. And within the restaurant business, even if somebody comes to your bar or restaurant and has a flawless experience, especially in New York City, because there's such competition out there, you really need to ensure a second and third visit. If you can get them back, like having different events, like we have trivia on Tuesday nights and we have bingo on Wednesday nights. So if somebody comes in, you could be like, oh, have you tried, you should come to our trivia night or, oh, you should come to our bingo night. And, you know, once you can establish a rapport with people and get them in, like, past that third visit, it's more likely to build regulars. And that's so important for repeat business and getting people in the door and and keeping them. And then, second of all, from a marketing perspective, I would say it's so important to use Instagram, to have uh, the different social media platforms going. We use a, a weekly mailer that goes out to everyone who's signed up to our mailing list, a good website, an updated website, and then we also use Untapped for um, our beer list. So a lot of people can go on Untapped, check in, and, and rate the different beers and you know see what beer is on tap right now use Google Business a lot. And it's really just a matter of, you know, keep pushing and keep promoting the brand as best you can. Try and grow it organically, if possible, rather than through, you know, paid promotions and stuff like that. I wouldn't dismiss the value of word of mouth, which is huge. You really need to treat the clients as to a standard and make sure that nothing affects that in a negative aspect. For people that are listening, you're going to want to listen to this podcast again because everything that Joseph said and this entire interview actually has just been a blueprint of what it takes. I mean, if if I've been listening very closely and it's like you've got a million things going at the same time, which is so key. You're, you're, you, there's There's not an aspect of marketing or customer engagement that you're not utilizing. And I couldn't agree with you more. As I've said in other interviews and elsewhere – People can forgive a bad meal or a bad cocktail if they happen to have one, but if they have a bad experience with the staff or on a human level they don't feel acknowledged, it's very difficult to keep them as a loyal customer, and it's not the type of word of mouth that you want. So I completely agree with you in terms of holding your staff to a standard, and I think it's just so important. One final question I would have, Joseph, is the following. Now that you're going to be doing the expansion into Sunnyside, where do you see the alewife in five to 10 years? Do you see it moving more and more towards the brewery side? Because I could easily see what you've got here going in terms of the restaurant and the brewery 
that concept working elsewhere, but some people want to double and triple down where they're at. What are your, where do you see the alewife evolving to over the next, say, five years? I think it's very important to have the two locations and then, you know, to, to build out. We have the space over at Sunnyside and, you know, that, ha- that will have a production system in there. But what's so great about that space is there's room for expansion. We can put in more fermenters. We can put in larger fermenters, put in different lagering tanks, put in sour tanks. It's the perfect, like, blueprint right now that, you know, it allows for expansion. So, you know, we've we've done very well. Like, last year, we produced just over 1,300 barrels of beer, which is it's very good for a first-year production brewery. And I just, you know, we're looking at, you know, the numbers going up, like, every year, our productions, and then into new accounts. We're very lucky that we have a lot of accounts that were on permanent lines and that really do go through a volume of our beers. But, yeah, you know, what, in the next five years, it's, if they're anything like what this year is like, it'll be great. There's a lot of buildup we have had exposure overseas too. The owner and the head brewer just got back from a beer festival in Belgium there last week and they've also brought beers to Sweden before and both the owner and I are Irish and he did some collaboration brews with some Irish breweries two weeks ago and you know there's another scale like the whole craft beer scene is is worldwide it is like global and just like the rate of production and expansion with a lot of new places opening all the time is really huge. No doubt. Plus, what I find from a lot of our customers are telling me is now when tourists are coming into New York, they don't want to go to the traditional touristy places. So the fact that you guys are getting this great exposure overseas, when people from Ireland or from other parts of the world that are exposed to the alewife beer come to New York, they're going to be coming to your restaurant and and your, your brewery. And uh, another great way to grab people and, and get them into the restaurant and give them the entire alewife experience because that's another trend. When people come to New York now, they want something authentic and they want something different than what would be a traditional tourist spot. Well, I have to say, Joseph, I've learned an enormous amount talking to you, and this has been an, an absolute pleasure. You know, it's it's an honor to do business with people that are so forward-thinking and who are executing at such a high level in all aspects of this business. You know, what can I say? This was an incredibly instructive interview. And I, as I say, for, you know, this podcast is geared towards people who love restaurants and love food and all of that, but it's also geared towards people that want to either make a go of it in this business or want to do better if they're already in it. And I can't think of better advice and better clear actionable steps than the ones you've laid out. So I, I really do appreciate your time and, and for laying it out for us like that. Thank you very much. Yeah. You'll have to come by at some stage, you know, and ask for me. We'll have a beer. I've got it on my calendar now that the fall is coming, and I'm going to come in for a football game myself one day. I'm going to come into the city on a Sunday and just make a day of it and hang out because I'm really looking forward to getting in there. And uh, it's just been something I'm looking forward to, and I'm definitely going to make it happen. So, Joseph, thank you again for your time. It's Alewife Brewery in Long Island City. Check them out on Instagram. Check them out at alewife.beer. It's an unbelievable thing they've got going on there, and um, 
really glad that you took the time to speak with us, Joseph. All Have right. a great Thank day. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Hey guys, that was a great interview with Joseph from Alewife, and you can really get a feel from that interview how much time and energy they spend on the marketing side of running and expanding that restaurant, their brewery, and scaling their brand. So that got me thinking of the book that I want to recommend this week is called Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. It's an excellent book on marketing, very well written, a lot of great ideas on on how to utilize tools such as websites and, and other vehicles that are, are at our disposal to market our brand. And I really enjoyed it. I got a lot of value out of it. And marketing is a huge, huge part of what it takes to own, operate, and scale a successful business in the hospitality industry. So let me know if you like the book. You could reach me at Stephen at WolcoFoods.net. Or you can DM me on our Instagram page here at The Profitable Table. And I would love to know if you read the book, what you think of it. I'm also always looking for great book recommendations. can be in business, can be on literature, history, philosophy, whatever. Always looking for a great book. So thank you for listening, and I look forward to checking in with you real soon. Have a great, great day. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net.